0: Hear about your love, we read about your love, we witness your love on the cross of Calvary. Lord, we thank you that in so many ways you communicate that you love us, Lord. And I want to thank you, Heavenly Father, this morning that your love is not just. Uh, a warm feeling. Your love is not just an emotion, but your love is powerful. Lord God, it's your love that sets us free. Lord God, it's your love that caused Christ to take all the sins of the world upon himself, Lord, so that we could be free. I thank you again and again, Lord. You demonstrate your love for us. You provide for us in so many ways. You bring good things into our life. You extend your grace and your mercy on us, Lord. And we want to Uh, pray again this morning, Lord God, that we would see and understand and experience your love afresh, Lord God. We want to pray this morning, Lord, that you help us to respond to you, to what your Spirit is saying to us, to what your Spirit is doing among us this morning, Lord God, that together with you, Lord God, we could overcome and and demonstrate in our lives and be a testimony and an example of the overcoming power of the blood of Jesus. Lord, we want to pray all of this for your name's sake. Amen. Amen. Fantastic. I want to read you a report that was on the BBC News website um, recently, which says that depression is the second most common cause of disability worldwide after back pain. Uh, It says the disease must be treated as a global public health priority. The study compared clinical depression with more than 200 other diseases and injuries as a cause of disability. And it says, globally, only a small proportion of patients have access to treatment. Depression was ranked at number two as a global cause of disability, but its impact varied in different countries and regions. For example, rates of major depression were highest in Afghanistan and lowest in Japan. In the UK, it says depression was ranked at number three in terms of years lived with a disability. It's one of those things, kind of depression and stress and anxiety, um, just seems so commonplace now. It's almost become part of normal life. And I was reflecting on this and thinking, it's got to the stage where, you know, if I'm at work and I hear that, you know, somebody's on the sick, you know, they're on the long-term sick, I just kind of assume it's stress, you know, not that they've broken their leg or that they've got some kind of serious illness, um, you know, like um, physical illness. Um, it's just got to the stage where it, it seems so commonplace. And for me, it's, many, it's one of the kind of many contradictions in the, the modern world. You know, Over recent years, we've seen so many um, incredible developments in healthcare, and yet it feels like there are more people signed off work today than there have ever been before. Um, you know, there's, there's kind of other contradictions, aren't there? There's millions more ways to stay in touch and to connect with people and yet it feels like generally people are no less lonely than they were. I don't know about you, but whenever I walk down Northumberland Street or just stop and, and kind of look at the people, you know, the, the words from that Beatles song, Eleanor Rigby, always comes into my mind about, you know, all the lonely people. Where uh, do they all come from? You just look at the people. All these millions of ways to stay in, put, in touch with people, and there's so much loneliness around. You know, people think we are becoming, as a society, so much more enlightened and so much more tolerant, and yet it feels like there is anger and hate and um, unforgiveness all around us. I suspect the writer of Ecclesiastes would have a few things to say about it all, but actually we're going to come on to him later on, because it's the issue of stress that I want to talk about today. And I suppose, you know, stress, depression, anxiety can mean a multitude of things. So um, just to clarify specifically, I want to talk about a spirit of despair, a spirit of despair. So, in recent weeks, we've been talking about ways in which the enemy and demonic spirits can affect us, but also ways in which we can overcome that. And so, just as in previous weeks, I want to consider the, this kind of serious spiritual problem where there is a, a spirit of uh, despair upon us. But actually, in exploring that, I think there are things that will help us, us all, really, because you know, it's possible for us all to get burdened at. Times, you know, most of us, if not all of us, at some people get things a bit out of perspective, don't we? You know, you kind of, um, other things going on, you, you spill something on the carpet and suddenly it's just like, you know, the end of the world, like somebody's dropped a nuclear bomb on your carpet instead of a glass of red wine or something like that. Or, you know, people with small children, I'm sure, can relate. You know, it's just like um, one too many times you've been told that your child is hungry and it's like they've just, you know, sworn the worst profanity at you, the way that you kind of react. is, like, I oh, know. We can all get to a, a state of, of kind of despair and frustration and, and stress. And I hope that we can help with that today. Um, but at times it can be the case that Not just that circumstances have affected us, but the the enemy, the devil, can put something on us because he is our enemy and he wants to do us harm. And so today I want to offer hope. Um, You know, we're going to pray for, we're going to see freedom today because we're looking for Christ to give us hope hope. And I feel like I should say, you know, the goal of, of today is is just that, is that we get hope, is that we get freedom. And it is not at all to condemn people, because there's a funny thing, there can be a sense of, of stigma around, I think, you know, stress and depression and anxiety and things like that. Um, you know, you feel bad, and then... You feel bad for feeling bad. You know, you kind of get this sense of, oh, no, I shouldn't feel like this, and you just get weighed down even more. And so this morning, I don't want to dismiss the reality of some of the situations or the circumstances that can, you know, affect us. It could be all sorts of, of terrible things. Um, and, and we can sometimes feel bad because there's a sense of, well, we shouldn't feel like this. I shouldn't let these things get to us. Do you know what? That may or may not be the case. But if you do, well, let's work with that. Let's work with the reality of how we actually feel rather than the perception of how we should or shouldn't feel. Because as I say, this morning I want to offer hope. I was at a prayer meeting earlier um, this week, and uh, um, it was fantastic. I had this kind of revelation. Well, probably not a revelation in that I probably knew it already, but just this kind of strong awareness that, you know what, there is no problem in the world, and there is no problem in our lives that God can't overcome. Yeah? And it's 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 kind of one of those things that we probably know and that makes sense to us. But just there and then in the prayer meeting, it was kind of like I kind of had faith for it. And it was so exciting just to think, yeah, do you know what? Nothing is impossible for God. It says in Mark chapter 9 that everything is possible. For him who believes, and uh, it 's just kind of really struck me that actually you know what God has the answer for all the issues and all the problems and uh, and so you know this is the the place that we 're in this morning. you know God can help us, and so last week, I was talking about um, the nature of mankind about us being spirit and soul and body. And we said that you know, when we were talking about a spirit of intimidation. We saw that when we were talking about this kind of spirit of intimidation, it was something that af- affected every part of us, our body, our soul, our mind, and our um, emotions, and also kind of um, physically. And w- when we're talking about um, a spirit of despair, we're talking about a similar thing, something that is, is all-consuming, that kind of crowds in our whole life. So, what does it look like, and how do we get to that place? And I I want to look at a number of verses in the Bible that help us explore that. um, And before coming on to consider Psalm 13 toward the end, where we see King David and his response to being in a place of despair. But to start with, I want to look at Psalm 69. Um, and I, I, uh, I kind of searched on this word despair and, and sort of looked at a, a few verses and I want to explore them today. So I'm going to start by reading from Psalm 69. I'm going to read from the um, English Standard Version. We normally read from the uh, NIV on a um, Sunday morning. But I, I want to read from this because because I was looking at a particular word. I was looking at a more literal translation, which is what the SV is. So, but it's, you know, it's the Bible, so it'll you know, have a similar sort of sentiments in what you read. So Psalm 69 says this, Save me, O God. For the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me. Those who attack me with lies. What I did not steal must I now restore. O God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me. O Lord, God of hosts, let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel. For it is for your sake that I have borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers an alien to my mother's sons. For the sake of time, I'll just skip to verse 20, where David says, Reproaches have broken my heart, so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. So I think we can identify from this passage, you know, where David is describing this um, situation of feeling overwhelmed, of being in this place of despair. And I think we can identify a number of things which. I think, typify this sort of feeling of and the spirit of despair. And I suppose one of the first things is, you know, David feels straight away that his life is in chaos, you know, um, and that it's just oh, overwhelming. And I think there's something about despair that, that does that. It's like you can't think straight. Have you ever been in that place where it's just like, you know, just the thought of getting out of bed is, is overwhelming? Um, I, I do remember being, when I was at university, um, preparing for this exam on, uh, on business finance. Uh, yeah, I know. And, um, and uh, I was just really sort of struggling to get it. And I remember just getting more and more wound up and more and more frustrated and, and kind of getting to the stage where I just kind of hurled my file of notes all over my room. It was just all on top of me. That's something about that in this spirit of despair. And David describes it like being in a deep mire, in deep waters. Sometimes you hear stories on the the news or on documentaries, don't you, about people who are like allergic to sunlight or, or to water or things like that. You know, the very sort of things of life become um, dangerous for us. And it feels like for David, all of life is, is kind of dangerous and is traumatic. And he's experiencing in his life at that time something that, you know, the kind of trauma that maybe we experience once in a lifetime and where you can exist in that state for a, a short while. But when all of your life is like that, it's it's kind of overwhelming. I remember when I was um, applying for jobs when um, I was going to stop working for the church and kind of um, finding another job. I remember kind of going through this time. It took about a year and about a hundred applications. And I, I remember when I finally got a job, it was I was kind of completely useless for the next week. I was just like, oh. and 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 because there was something about the the. Um, the sort of tension of, of kind of being in that place of, you know, I need to get a job and trusting God for it, but that, that really being in my focus and the sort of adrenaline that comes from that. And when you get to the point of it, you suddenly realize the, the sort of the state you were in. And I was just, you know, there's something about this kind of stress, this despair, this anxiety that is like being in a, in a long-term traumatic experience. David talks about being surrounded by enemies. Now, for David, he probably was literally surrounded by enemies. And I guess most of us, I hope, wouldn't say that we have enemies. You know, we haven't got an arch enemy or someone like that. I I really hope you haven't. But sometimes it can feel like, you know, life is opposed to us. Everything we try fails. It messes up. And actually, it can get to the, the point where it feels like even God is against us. And uh you know you have to remember this is part of satan's strategy and when you go back to the the garden you know we talked about what happened at the beginning last week didn't we back in the garden where satan was trying to get adam and eve to to eat the fruit one of his strategies with eve to was to kind of try and suggest that actually god's not for you you know did god really say that actually god doesn't want you to be that fruit because he knows if you eat it, you'll become like god and just sort of sowing this lie that god has not got your best interests at heart and that is a lie and, uh, and that's kind of one of the things that can happen when we are in this, this state. You know, we can get to a state of, of paranoia, I guess. We don't know who we can trust. You know, the enemy attacks our relationship with God, but he also attacks our relationships with other people. And it's a really significant thing because, you know, we, are, we were designed to relate to other people. It's part of the way in which we are made in the image of God. And that's an image that Satan is out to destroy. You know, just as God, as is in Himself relational, we were made to be relational, and so it's kind of one of the ways that Satan attacks us. I remember in lots of the work that we did in in kind of developing. Uh, grow newcastle i kind of se- seem to remember quite a lot of the meetings where we come together to discuss and plan we uh, were kind of praying about our relationships because you know we were all friends who were, who were doing this but we recognized we were doing something significant for god and therefore we would come under opposition and uh you know i think we're still friends aren't we so you know it, it, it kind of prayer works so david feels like yeah <laughs> if you take nothing else away now. um so David feels like he's surrounded by enemies, and he, he becomes very aware of himself. He becomes aware of his faults and his mistakes. Again, that's kind of something that can happen when we feel like this. We can feel like, I'm just not good enough, I'm a failure, I'm rubbish. And generally, David became very self-aware, aware of himself, um, because the kind of stress that we're talking about you know, we can't compartmentalize it. That's part of the challenge. Isn't it? It's not like, you know, you're under real pressure at work, but then at five o'clock you walk out of the door. Actually, the nature of getting to this point is we can't just walk out of the door. It affects every part of our lives. And so David describes feeling alone. And again, this is really important. This is quite a dangerous place to be, I would say, spiritually speaking. Sometimes when you talk to people who have got into a place like this, it can feel like, well, you know, you, kind of anything you offer or you suggest or you, you kind of bring the word of God to them or try to offer hope. And sometimes you can be met with a sense of, well, that's, that's true for them, but not for me. And actually, if you get to a state where you, you kind of believe that the Bible doesn't apply to you, that's a really dangerous place to be. And so these are some of the effects for, that we kind of see in this passage for David in this place. It's not a comprehensive list, but hopefully it helps us to describe some of what we're talking about this morning. So, what are some of the ways in which we can get to, to this place? And kind of, you know, remembering what we talked about last week, it can start in the physical realm and affect our thoughts and our emotions, but through these things, we can also become spiritually afflicted. Well, I searched despair in my concordance and I found a number of verses which were helpful for me in understanding the causes of this state. And I've identified just um, three that were we'll put up on the, um, the references on the, the screen there. And one was, Um, in, In a book of Ecclesiastes, which I referred to before, Ecclesiastes 2, verse 20, it says, the writer says, So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toils of my labors under the sun. Um, so the book of Ecclesiastes at times reads a bit like a biblical equivalent of, you know, grumpy old men, or, you know, the, the sort of your, your Uncle Tom at Christmas complaining about the youth of today and things like that. But actually, in the midst of, of the kind of grumbles and the gripes, there's some fairly accurate prognoses about not just the world then, but the world now. So the writer talks about in this chapter, in chapter two, talks about the frustration that comes from, you know, you kind of work really hard and it feels like another person doesn't do the work but gets all the benefits. He describes the frustration that comes when you try to kind of get significance and identity from the things of this world, which eventually will just pass away and doesn't work. He talks about despair at the way the world works. Works. And we could classify all of this as, as the world, you know, what the Bible word would be, the world, the sinful world, or the world order. So stress comes from the world and um, when we kind of fall into the trap of trying to conform to it, whether it's in how we work, how we rest, how we play. Another verse is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 8, where the Apostle Paul says, We do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. So Paul doesn't specify what the source of his suffering um, is, but it clearly wore him down. And it was either kind of um, real on the outside, or it was perceived internally And these things can get us into a state of despair. The final verse I want to consider is in Isaiah chapter 19 and verse 9, where it says, The workers in combed flax will be in despair, and the weavers of white cotton. And the context of this bit of Isaiah um, is the judgment of the Lord against sin in Israel. And you kind of see this similar sense elsewhere, particularly in the prophets in the Old Testament. And it causes the people to be in despair, there's physical lack, there's a downward spiral, they're inquiring of sorcerers and all sorts of things. And I think when you consider these kinds of verses and passages, it would seem that stress and despair come basically from sin and sinfulness. Whether it's our own sin and the way that that disrupts our relationship with God and the way that that removes us from his protection and his peace, or the sin of others and the sinfulness that is in the world, because essentially the Bible identifies three sources, three principal sources of temptation for us as Christians. It's the sinful nature, the kind of the, the problem within us, the world, the problem outside of us, or the devil and the realm of the demonic. So, um, and just to kind of give you some references for that, so the sinful nature. Um, or sometimes called the flesh, our natural sinfulness. So Paul says in Ephesians 2 verse 3, we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In other words, you know, we are naturally flawed as descendants of Adam and Eve who introduced sin into the human race. Um, and Paul describes some of the challenges in, in the book of Romans about, I want to do this, but that, you know, within me, I want to do something else. And this kind of battle that goes on within, that's the sinful nature. There's also the world, the sinfulness around us. James, in chapter 4, verse 4, says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So it's like the world describes the sinful nature writ large, writ on a society, on culture, on the things around us. And then there is the champion of sin, the devil. Peter says in Uh, 1 Peter 5 verse 8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Any or all of these can be the cause of severe stress and a state of despair, sin or sinfulness. And if we're in any doubt that the root of this is sin, well, we need to consider Jesus. And it's interesting, Psalm 69 that we read before is a messianic psalm. It's often referred to Jesus and, uh, and his experience on the cross. And we see Jesus in despair. And hopefully that should encourage you not to condemn yourself um, or allow yourself to be condemned. We see Jesus in despair, but not in the rejection by man, not because people who were made to worship him and acknowledge him as the king rejected him. Not in the physical beatings and the scourgings we principally see Christ's despair as he hangs on the cross and he says Mark 15 34 my God my God why have you forsaken me the weight of the sin of the world and the consequences and the wrath of God poured out on it and on Christ were what caused Jesus to be in despair the judgment of God that he took upon himself. When you search for a word like anguish in the Bible, most often it's associated with the judgment of God in the Old Testament prophets. You know, Jesus received the judgment of God for sin when he hung on the cross. But this should encourage us because Jesus took it on himself. He took sin upon himself. He took the consequences of sin upon himself. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He went through the despair and the anguish caused by sin so we could experience the hope that comes through being declared righteous in Christ. He took despair, he took stress, he took anxiety upon him. So what's our response this morning? Well, I want to look at another psalm that describes David in anguish. It's Psalm 13. And consider how David responded and how we can respond. And it will help us, I think, with our perspective and you know, just protecting our hearts and minds from becoming burdened in this way. But where the root of despair is spiritual affliction, a spirit of despair, then, like we talked about last week, we need to take authority in the name of Jesus and, uh, and again, at the end of the meeting, if you want to pray with someone, let me encourage you to grab your cell leader, to grab one of the leaders, um, and to, to kind of stand with you in that. But we've, you know, we've said before, and certainly Pastor Clive has, has said it, you know, getting free and staying free are about, you know, a combination of spiritual uh, prayer, of you know, deliverance, of you know, spiritual encounter, but also good Bible psychology, getting the truth within us. Um, so I felt like I should speak from Psalm 13 and um, I, I've kind of done some study on this in the past but I don't think I've spoken here about it before and if I have well I can't remember so you probably can't remember but um, but I kind of think that w- within this psalm there is some stuff that will help us to get freedom because uh, well let's read it um, Psalm 13 it's only six verses long it says this how long O Lord will you forget me forever how long will you hide your face from me how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Lift up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So we encounter David, King David, who's in a situation of distress. It's not clear what the cause of it is, whether it's warfare, whether it's illness, but he's in a desperate situation in which he turns to God and helpfully also records his conversation with God for us so we can learn. And there are principles in here that apply to us if we feel like, you know, God, have you forgotten me? Or actually, equally, if we feel like we're in a really good place with God, there are principles for how we encounter and engage with God. There is, I think, lots we could draw out, but I just want to pick out six things that I see in how David relates to God that can help us in a place of stress, anxiety, despair, frustration. And the first one is about honesty. David feels in a desperate place, and he tells God. God now this might seem like an obvious thing to do but you know what I really don't think it is because sometimes you feel like well if I pray a prayer like that the church police are going to come down on me because you're not supposed to talk to God like that you're not supposed to talk to him about how things really are how it really feels how you're feeling again that sense of I'm not supposed to feel like this so I'm not going to talk to God as if somehow therefore he's not going to be aware of how you actually feel Look, we need to be honest with God. We can tell Him how we feel. That's what He wants. Yeah, in the in the Old Testament you see about how Israel related to God and part of the way they related was through feasts and festivals and offerings and sacrifices. But you know what? It got to the point where God says, read it in Isaiah, read it in Amos, I hate your feasts and festivals. It's pretty strong words from God. It got to the point where they become so meaningless and so empty that the people were just going through the motions, having these feasts and having these festivals, that God says, I'm sick of this. You know, so if we're just going to pray to God and not tell him about the things that really matter to us, you know, we're just going through the motion. What is the point of it? You know, it's, like I said, it's, it's kind of understandable because we can feel like we shouldn't feel like this. But like I said before, we do and we can't ignore that fact. It would be great if ignoring things solved the problem, you know. Jesus wouldn't have had to die on a cross, would he? We'd all have just had to try and distract ourselves and that would be fine. But he did die on the cross because ignoring stuff doesn't make it go away. It just gets worse. So um, for for me, I would say one of the amazing privileges of being a Christian, of having a relationship with God, is being able to be completely open and honest with God. God. And let's be honest, he knows it anyway, doesn't he? But I would say, you know, I'm I'm kind of not one of those naturally expressive things. If I sit next to you on the bus, I feel like I have to tell you, you know, my life story in the next five minutes before you get off, you know. Uh, know, I'm not kind of naturally quite an open person, but I really appreciate and value just being able to be completely um, honest and open with God. So honesty is a really important thing. I think the second thing I see in here is about real life. David talked to God about what was going on in his life, the things that were occupying his thoughts. I would say that this is a good thing to do. Um, You know, we can all appreciate that the things that are important to God should be important to us. But equally, the things that matter to us matter to God. He wants to help. I love how it talks about Joseph in the book of Genesis. And it says, whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Not just, you know, when Joseph was leading prayer meetings and kind of having a worship time, but, you know, when he was administering the country, whatever he was doing, it says everything, whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. You know, God wants us to be successful. Um, So the things that matter to us matter to God. God is interested in how your family is. God is interested in your job. He's interested in whether your car is working. I do remember when I was a fairly young Christian at university, I remember um, I, um, I, I broke my radio. And uh, Well, actually, it would have been all right if I broke my radio. I broke somebody else's radio. And um, I don't want to go into how it, how it happened, but it involved a football and indoors. So <laughs> I remember thinking, oh, Lord, what am I going to do? Um, and so, you know, I was a fairly young Christian, so I didn't know you. you shouldn't pray for radios and cars and things like that. So, you know, I prayed and I asked God, Lord, would you, you kind of bring this radio back to life? Um, and, you know, God didn't have to do it because I completely shouldn't have been playing football inside. But <laughs> the, the radio suddenly started working again. It was amazing. You know, God cares about things like that. So we need to talk to God. We need to be honest with God and talk to him about real life, the things that we're concerned about. The third thing I see in this is the importance of two-way conversation. So this is not just David having a rant into space, is it? You know, have you, I've, I've certainly seen, I don't know if you have, but I've seen you know, um, people standing outside churches shouting at the church, usually you, you know, if they've had a bit to drink and they're a bit angry with life. This is not just David just kind of venting his spleen in space. This is him talking to God. There are six verses in this um, In this chapter, in Psalm 13, three of them um, feature the word "Lord." He is talking to God. He knows this is not God's plan for his life. He's asking God to answer. And you know, we can probably all understand that sometimes talking things through with somebody make a difference. Um, But we're not talking about that. We're talking about the power of talking things through with God the one who can change things, the one who you know, owns the world and all the people who's above all things, who wants me, who cares for me. And there is a sense in David's prayer of looking for God to respond, to change the situation, to change me, to change what I should do, to help me to endure, whatever it is, there is something where David is just aware of God and, and is talking to him and looking for God to respond. The fourth thing that I see in this, is David expressing his trust. Verse five, he says, I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And and I suppose, you know, prayer in itself is an expression of trust in God, isn't it? Um, It's uh, it's an expression of faith that actually this is worth doing. It makes a difference. makes a difference to us and to God. But there's a funny thing about this kind of prayer, about sort of talking to God about the the difficult things. And it's a bit like... um, you know, you, again, you see sort of quirky news stories—the sort of "and finally" thing about people who've, who've kind of used rubbish for goods, don't you? You know, like people—you can get cars now that run on on like old chip fat and things like that from chip shops. And I, I think if I had one of those, I would just be in a permanent state of, of you know hunger and wanting to find the nearest chip shop because um, you know there is something about the smell of, of chips, isn't there? You know, I sometimes come out of Morrison's, come out of Morrison's with your fresh linguine, and you can kind of smell the chips and just I think I could. Just yeah, absolutely. Yeah, should have should have got some sponsorship or something. But you kind of see these things where people invent stuff to use rubbish. And there's something about when we pray to God about the stuff that is really um, challenging. Actually, do you know what? Not only does it reduce our burden, but it expresses our trust in God and it strengthens our relationship. So it's almost like if we're in a, a difficult place, if we kind of feel like there's lots of things that, I need to bring to God. Well, actually, that's great because there's lots of it's like kind of fuel for the fire of our relationship with God. It helps us to develop intimacy and in relationship with uh, him. And David speaks out his trust in God. So he expresses his trust. The next thing is he gets inspired. And I think it's an incredible thing. David is in such an oppressive situation. And it's like there's a million reasons to, to be faint-hearted and to shrink back but uh, he, he is real about his situation with God. He tells God what is going on, but he's aware that he's talking to God and he's expressing his trust in him. And suddenly it's like he understands that only one thing matters the writer of Deuteronomy puts it like this. He says, the Lord is God in heaven and on the earth below, there is no other. And so David, you know, pours his heart to God, tells him this, and then suddenly he starts worshiping. He says, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I shall sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. he has done good to me. You know, worship is just so significant, particularly in when we're in the midst of a, a, a difficult time I remember um, I used to, when I was doing my teach training a long, 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 long time ago, I remember sort of driving to this school that I was on placement. At. It was quite a challenging placement, I guess. And uh, it was about sort of half an, hour car, uh, half an hour's car ride um, to this place. And um, I, I, you know, for a while, I, I would kind of used that time to pray and to worship, and it was just really good. And, uh, and I thought, oh, actually, you know, maybe I should, maybe I could use this time to like listen to some talks and stuff like that. It was really good, and I, and I did that. But you know what? I kind of, I felt, I got to a stage where I had to stop doing that and I had to go back to prayer and worship. Because however good listening to talks they are, and they are really good, and it's really important to get the word of God into you. But there was something about just starting my day with worship and with prayer and expressing my trust in God that made the experience at school so much better there's something about worship and getting inspired about who god is that changes circumstances and situations and i guess that's the the kind of the final thing that i've seen that is about perspective about perspective so david was very aware of the seriousness of the situation but ultimately he isn't overwhelmed with it he can reflect that god has been good to me you know his love doesn't fail he is the god who saves He is the God who saves, and you know. In some ways, it can feel like, well, if only he'd started with worship, that would have been better. It would have been set the atmosphere a bit more, and you know, he wouldn't have had to kind of go through all that anguish. But you know, it's really important that he talked to God about those things. And similarly, I think it's really significant that it ends in worship because it's like letting God have the last word. I know Sally's spoken quite a lot on this, and I think you know a number of us have spoken about it about just the difference between saying, well, you know, this is what the Bible says but here is my situation, and actually reversing that and saying, well, this is what my situation looks like, But this is what the word of God says. And actually the importance of letting God have the last word, not letting the last word be, oh, but, you know, my life's in a mess, but, you know, work's really tough or whatever. It's about saying, well, work's really tough, but God will provide for me. But God is faithful. He Causes all grace to abound to me. You know, he causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him. Letting God have the last word and finishing on worship, you know, by all means start with worship, but end with it too and get the right perspective on the situation, so there's kind of six things that I see in this psalm about how David responded to this, this place of stress and anxiety. And I think it's always helpful when you're kind of talking about prayer in some way or engaging with God and something we can overlook. You know, here is David in the midst of a life-threatening situation, but he didn't die. He had a, a, you know, a long and successful life. So it's always important to remember prayer works. Okay, let me try and draw this all together and then we are going to pray because it works. So we've been speaking about being in a place of despair, of feeling overwhelmed. And seen in, in this psalm, in Psalm 13, some ways in which hopefully we can avoid this and also how we can respond if we're in the midst of it. So a bit of prevention and a bit of repair. We've also recognized that as well as coming from our natural response to Sin and sinfulness it can be an opportunity for the enemy to put something on us to exert i guess what seems like an ongoing influence so it can be that like the, the situation that triggered the stress is over, but it feels like that that kind of anxiety and that despair is still there, you know and ultimately. If, if that's the case, if there's this ongoing spiritual influence, well, spiritual influences need spiritual solutions. So as you know, we said last week, if you recognize that diagnosis for yourself, that actually this is more to me getting things out of perspective than a current response to a current situation, well, let me encourage you that, uh, to, to kind of pray with someone after the meeting. We'll kind of give some space for that, particularly if you're in a cell. Get your cell leader to pray with you. But for us all, I think there are steps we can take and ways in which we can respond right now. So I'm going to invite us all to stand. And what I'd like us to do, you know how i like to get you to do the work here. You know, it's really important that we take ownership about our own lives and our own spiritual lives. So I'd like to give us all a minute, actually, just to be honest with God. And to, you know, it could be that you, there's, there's challenge, you're facing challenges at the minute. It could be that you feel like you are on top of things. You know, you had a great weekend away or just things are, are working out really well. That's really good. Let's be honest with God about those things. And then I'm just going to pray to sort of wrap it up. And, uh, and then, like I say, encourage you, if you feel like actually there's, there's something here more than me getting things out of perspective, there is a spiritual influence, then we're happy to pray for you after the meeting. So let's just take a minute and let's just be honest with God about our situation at the minute. What, you know, what's kind of on our hearts, How's that making us feel and expressing our trust in God. Father, I want to thank you that however we feel this morning, wherever we're at, Lord God, that you love us. Lord, that your grace is sufficient for us. And Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you understand sin and sinfulness does, that you understand how it affects the human heart, the human will, how it affects our souls and our bodies and our spirits. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you on that cross took all that sin upon yourself. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you took all the wrath of God. Directed against sin, all the judgments upon yourself. Lord, I, I want to thank you that, that, Lord, you know, as we continue to live in a sinful world, as we continue to live with these <laughs> naturally sinful human bodies, Lord God, that you empower us and you equip us with your Holy Spirit. Lord God, to enable us to have the heart and mind of Christ in the midst of difficult situations, to enable us to have supernatural power for life. You say, you know, that the, the spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead can bring life to us, to our bodies and our souls. And we thank you for that. Lord, I want to pray for each and every one of us here this morning, Lord God. And I want to pray, Lord God, for those who feel like they are in a place where life is overwhelming and it feels like everything is dark. And I want to pray that you would break through with your light of hope, Lord God, that you would break through all the noise. I want to thank you, Lord God. There is something that speaks louder than the noise of this world. There is something that speaks louder than our inner simple desires. There is something that speaks louder than the accusations of the enemy. That is the blood of Jesus that you shed on the cross for us, Lord Jesus. And we, Lord, we just want to declare and we want to express that your blood paid for our freedom, Lord God. We want to express the fact Lord God, that your blood means we don't have to be overwhelmed by life. We don't have to be under the circumstances. We don't have to be overwhelmed. And I want to pray, Lord God, that hope would rise in our hearts this morning, Lord God. I want to pray particularly for those who feel like they're overwhelmed or can recognize that um, that, that, um possibility for themselves. Lord God, I want to pray for a fresh measure of grace and of faith for them this morning, Lord God. Lord, I want to pray that you would help us all to be free, to get free and to stay free, Lord God. I want to pray our lives would be a testimony, like David would say, to your goodness, to your salvation, to, you know, the fact that you are the king of the whole world. Lord, we want to pray that our lives would give you glory and honour and praise. In Jesus' name. Amen.